Hey friends, this is Jessica Levity Day Lover, reminding you that you are not alone on the polyamorous path. If you're looking for peer support or coaching on your non-monogamous journey, and you want to work with the day lovers, head to remodeledlove.com and book with us today. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, lovers. Jess here, and I finally got episode four of season two of Remodeled the Podcast. This season, of course, is unedited. Well, partly edited. Well, this episode literally is from a live interview I did with one of my favorite Polyam content creators. It's the Good Chat at Polyam fam. See, what had happened was, if you follow me on social media, you know that I'm producing a series called Polyamorous Men. The intention behind this series is to highlight the experience that men are having inside polyamory. Because in my coaching practice and in my experience dating men, I see that there is no cultural script for men to follow. And so by interviewing men and doing stories on men on all of my social medias, the script is being put out there. I'll remind you the mission of Remodeled Love is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships and polyamory. And I'm going to drop the S word. You know I'm going to. We have to create the semiology. And that's what I'm up to with this Polyamorous Men project. You'll also be glad to know, and you can probably hear it in my voice, I'm starting to get some of my spoons back. Lucius, the baby, is six months old. He turned six months old yesterday. Can you believe it? No, really, can you believe it? Oh my God, what is time? Have I even slept in the last six months? I've taken a really big leap of faith recently. And I have invested in a co-work space that has a podcast room. And I now have dedicated times where I'm going to be working on Remodeled Love in the co-work space. If you don't follow me on Instagram, I recently did an Instagram live called Confession. I need to tell the truth about myself where I talk about my need to draw boundaries and create time and space for me to do this work. Because if I don't, I will do it all of the time. And so my path right now is trusting that Remodeled Love is going to continue to expand while I learn how to pace myself. Anyway, if you don't follow me on all my social medias yet, make sure you do on Instagram at Remodeled Love, on Twitter at Remodeled Love, still on TikTok at Home Slice Productions because I produce so many different kinds of videos. It's not just all about polyamory. If you're not already a patron yet, head over to patreon.com slash home slice productions. You can become a patron for as little as $3 a month. And now when you support me, you're helping me pay for things like my rent at the co-work space, the audio software that I use to edit this program, and the graphic design software I use to put out all of my content. Thank you guys so much for being on this journey with me and just wait till you see what I've got coming up for you. Make sure you're checking out remodeledlove.com. Go to the contact page, sign up for our newsletter because we are about to drop some amazing stuff, including workshops and classes on you to take you for quite the ride. And now here's episode four of season two of Remodeled, the podcast. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. Fall in love just a little, oh, a little bit every day with someone new. 
You're listening to Remodeled, the podcast. Remodeled is a project whose goal is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships in order to include ethical non-monogamy, non-partnered, asexual, open, and more. We are here to redefine love. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. I fall in love just a little, a little bit every day with someone new. Hey everyone, and welcome to Remodeled Love, the podcast here live on my TikTok channel, which is Home Slice Productions. I'm still having feelings about if I need to combine my brand. I'm all over the place. I'm bisexual, polyamorous in nature, and everything that I do, I cannot stick to one brand. Um, We are continuing our Polyamorous Men series with a very special guest today, the meme master himself, it's the good Chad at Polyam Fam. What's up, man? How's it going? <laughs> um, so I just got the joke of the good Chad and like this morning and died. Yeah, because <laughs> originally my website, uh, my art website, thegoodchad.com, <laughs> plug, um, <laughs> was uh, the headline was my name is Chad. I'm so sorry. <laughs> just like the name is. The name is so universally hated. And the funny thing was up until recently, I worked uh, in an office with someone named Karen. So together we were the internet's worst nightmare. (laughs) I got it instantly. As soon as I was like the good Chad, I was like, oh, I get it. I get it. I think I do. Um, So (laughs) the mission here at Remodeled Love, which is the Instagram channel where we are mutuals, um, is to expand the cultural narrative on healthy relationships and polyamory. And so kind of my specialty is the software of our consciousness, right? And in my podcast, my partner and I were really dorks for this thing called semiology. And semiology is the signs and symbols that our brain sees and understands how to interact with the world. And so sometimes when something is not in our semiology, it's really we, we can't step into it. It doesn't make sense to us. It's very strange. Um, so, for example, the first time you walked into a grocery store and everyone was wearing masks a year and a half ago, this is brand new semiology, right? It's completely strange. You've never seen that symbol before, and now it's totally normalized. And my mission with, you know, Remodeled Love is to infiltrate the semiology of the consciousness of the culture by creating signs and symbols that help to normalize things, which is why I came out swinging with my series of ridiculous polyamory sketches. Um, you know, that this is, yeah. this is the mission behind it. And you're doing the same thing with your memes, and so are a lot of our other fellow meme content creators. And what I've noticed recently in my polyamorous coaching practice, working with clients one-on-one, is that polyamorous men or polycurious men or just men in general um, don't have the semiology. They don't have the examples. They are not literally seeing how to be polyamorous men. And I know when all of the content creators looked at our stats, right? My stats are 80% women on my page. I think yours were 60% women. Is that right? Like 66, 67, something like that. Yeah, yeah. pretty, pretty high, high, mid to high 60s. But definitely you have a higher uh, audience for men than I do. And I think this is because it's safer for men, right? To follow other men. Um, And I noticed that people always want to hear more from my husband. And so now I'm on this new mission with this polyamorous men series to literally just show 
men being polyamorous, talking about polyamory, talking about their struggles. And so thank you for doing this with me today. My pleasure. Awesome. Um, so I want to, we're going to do this interview and then at the end, we'll, if we have questions from viewers, we'll take them. But for right now, it's just me and you. Um, so I want to start with right. your polyam origin story. Tell us age, what your life was like, what you were doing, how the hell you discovered polyamory, learned it was a thing, dipped your toe in and decided it was right for you. Uh, well, for most of my life, I was a very serial monogamist, uh, actually, which I think a lot of people are surprised by up until, oh man, uh, 26, 27, I didn't even really know what the word polyamory meant. Uh, I grew up in rural Missouri. It was just not a thing. I mean, at least not talked about, right? Uh, <laughs> just, just, just not a thing that was talked about. Didn't even realize it was an option. Um, but I always considered myself just generally sort of more of a progressive person. Um, so, you know, not closed off to things. Um, and so, my wife and I got married uh, coming up on four years ago now, uh, and I we had been monogamous up to that point, and I had only been in monogamous relationships, but I knew when getting when marrying my wife that she had been in kind of alternative sort of relationship structures previously. Uh, so it wasn't uh, it was something a little bit unspoken, but like we kind of like knew like hey stuff like this may be a possibility down the road. Uh, didn't really expect it to happen so soon. <laughs> how happy it did um so one night um oh man yeah well, COVID has like even messed with like my years in my head oh, like, yeah. I don't even know like year things happened anymore because COVID is just like what are years anymore totally. um 2020 three, three -ish years ago yeah yeah right right exactly do over uh <laughs> uh about three-ish years ago um what what kind of kicked it off was we were out uh, just kind of, you know, pre-pandemic uh, at not really a club, but like, you know, bar sort of like dance scene or whatever. Um, and my wife was kind of talking to this person and, you know, they ended up being like a little intimate and just like, you know, kissing at the club and all above board. Like I knew about like, wasn't any sort of like shiftiness going behind my back, anything like that. Right. Um, but then like a couple days later, um, we, she told me like, oh, we, we like exchange information and we've been talking. And I kind of said like, oh, well, what, is, what does this mean? You know, like, does, does this mean this is like more than a friend, more than an acquaintance? What, and that kind of kicked off the whole conversation that, you know, <laughs> kind of turned into a snowball after that. So um, initially, I mean, it was a bit of a shock to me. Um, again, like I said, I had, you know, known what her previous relationship structures had been. Didn't expect it to kind of come so soon or suddenly. Uh, but, you know, uh, kind of took a breath, uh, talked about it a whole lot and decided, you know, that's something we wanted to explore together uh, and something that I was open to despite never having done anything like that before. So um, long, you know, trials and tribulations similar to and I, I think a lot of men come to my page uh, initially thinking that I've just been polyamorous my entire life or like that I've been doing it for decades, whatever, and are, you know, don't realize that I've only been polyamorous for four-ish years now, possibly three-ish even, maybe closer to three. Um, and that I've gone through a lot of the same stuff they did. You know, uh, I, I'm not an exceptional person who is, you know, free from all of the things that men talk about having issues with. And I've gone through it myself. 
Um, so, so many questions, so many directions I want to go in. Obviously, you can say pass to any question that's like beyond the boundary of yours. Um, can we know the gender of the person your wife was making out with at the bar? Yes, uh, she was a woman. Um, and I actually, like, I think to myself, I'm like, that scenario in my mental state at that time or my emotional, like, you know, at that time, I most definitely would have reacted differently if it was not a woman. And I, I don't like that fact, but naming it, acknowledging it, and like, you know, kind of moving forward from that is the important part, you know, um, because even after we, you know, started, I, we never had any sort of like one penis policy or anything like that. I, cause like, I mean, even having not experienced polyamory or open relationships or anything, I knew that's not, that still didn't sit right with me. I was just like, ah, no. Um, but I did still in the beginning kind of have a preference of her dating women. And like, even at the time I knew that wasn't right. You know, I, I knew that was, you know, misogynistic, uh, transphobic, uh, you know, the whole laundry list of things, but I, I definitely had to work through that. Even, even though I knew like kind of where I wanted to be with that, I still had to work a lot to get there. Um, so you're fucking amazing because I think so many men need to hear that. And this is, you know, I'm also a dork for shadow work. And honestly, shadow work at the end of the day is accepting and owning these parts of ourselves that we don't like. And so just being able to say out loud publicly on the internet that, yes, you struggled with the gender of who your wife was with, and that was problematic. You still allowed her to do what she wanted, but fully owning that you had those feelings, I think is a huge thing that men need to hear. Um, so yeah. was there a time that then she started to venture with um, masculine partners? And how was that growth period for you? Um, past that, they, that particular relationship didn't really go anywhere. They chatted on and off, but it wasn't, you know, something that like immediately took off. Um, and then there was a period of time, not super long, but like where we didn't, uh, really see anyone outside of our relationship. But then since then she's dated mostly, she's, she's identifies as bisexual, pansexual, um, uh, has dated almost exclusively men. Like she's dated women as well. Um, but, um, yeah, that's, that's just kind of how the cards have fallen. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, I struggled with it at first, even, you know, having you, even if you prepare as, as much as you possibly can, if you've had your entire life where that's just not been a thing, when it, when you have to come face to face with it, even if you've conceptualized it in your mind and like mentally prepared for it, you, you still going to struggle. Like, and I think that's, I think a lot of men struggle with that because they, you know, think to themselves just like, oh, okay, I'm ready for this. I've read stuff I've like <laughs> you know prepared myself mentally like good to go and then their partner goes on their first date with you know uh, um some more of the opposite gender usually uh and they freak out and they think oh never mind this isn't for me and it's like that's a normal feeling <laughs> like it's you don't have to be a hundred percent ready prepared you know <laughs> for that to, for you to be doing a quote unquote, good job at polyamory. Yes. Know? Yeah. Amen. Preach. And I think like you said, so much of what I see in my coaching practice is people who have this idea uh, cerebrally of who they want to be as a polyamorous person and how they're going to show up. And then the moment comes and that's not how they're feeling. Um, do you advocate for 
being in that feeling while moving forward with it? Um, kind of, yes, but also depending, it, I think it depends, uh, because sometimes I think absolutely yes, to like sit with that feeling, think about where it's coming from. But there's other times where I felt, you know, this is like, I'm going mentally in a bad direction with my thoughts and emotions right now, just like sitting with it, I need to do something else, right? So I think it's both, right? Like, I think it's very important to like, sit in it, you know, acknowledge everything, think about things, but at the same time, know when it's okay to just take a break, do something else, kind of not think about it too much. Because I, I think you have to have both. Perfect answer. And obviously the right answer. <laughs> um, where do you <laughs> feel like, um, so actually, sorry, going back, what is your guys' style of polyamory? Are you kitchen table, parallel, kind of whatever the relationship calls for? Uh, whatever the relationship calls for, primarily kitchen table. Um, I really enjoy knowing, meeting, you know, my wife's partners. Uh, she enjoys the same for me. Because, um, I mean, usually if we're, you know, dating someone, uh, you know, chances are the other person's going to like them a whole lot, <laughs> like romantically or just platonically. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we, you know, kitchen table. But obviously that kind of depends on the comfort level of the other people too. Like, you know, some people don't necessarily want to, you know, meet the other partner. And that's, I'm, I'm okay with that too. Uh, just kind of whatever the relationship dictates, prefer kitchen table. And so far that's kind of just how it's been. I was going to say my next follow-up question was, has that changed over time? A little bit. I, I think it was always sort of that way, but in the beginning I was definitely a less secure person. I had a lot more insecurities um, and a lot more issues with meeting partners. Um, you know, things like that. So while it was still kind of kitchen table polyamory and that I was never like closed off to it, I was never like, oh, I don't want to meet, you know, anyone, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. Um, it was definitely more difficult in the beginning. Uh, but then I kind of realized that, you know, meeting these partners and knowing these people like helps me with my insecurity instead of, because I, I thought it was going to like hurt me and like, you know, make me so jealous and so insecure to meet this awesome person who's just better than me and blah, 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 blah. But it, it helped me. I'm like, oh, this person's a human. Like, I know this person, like I, I can talk to this person and realize that like, they are not a danger to my partner or me. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> Meeting your metas tends to humanize them in a way that actually helps you. I know for me, it's sometimes a journey, like it humanizes them. And then if I, you know, it might bring up an insecurity I wouldn't have if I hadn't met them, you know, like, so it's kind of like a roller coaster. I know for me and my husband, when we opened up eight years ago, he was like, I don't want to meet him. I don't want to know him, you know, just, and now it's like, oh, hey, brother, how are you? Um, so his journey yeah. <laughs> has become a lot softer. And I think it's so important for men who are curious about polyamory to know that that's okay. Um, you don't have to be... Yeah the version that you maybe pedestal in your mind as superior um, and it's okay for things to change over time. I think that's a very, um, at least American male, like um, energy of like needing to be perfect right away. I don't want to have to ask for any help and I don't want to have to be imperfect. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Absolutely. Do you feel like, so you were talking about you are a less insecure person now. Do you feel like polyamory has helped you 
heal your insecurities or just that you still have them. They're just not as, um, they don't have as much power over you or mix of both. I would, I would lean towards like feeling. I legitimately, and I've said multiple times on my page, uh, I feel like my polyamory journey has legitimately made me a better person, both inside and outside my relationships. You know, I, I, there's you, there's so much work on your jealousy and things like that, that in a monogamous relationship, you can kind of just not deal with a lot of the time, you know, um, cause the most that's probably going to happen outside of like, you know, unethical behavior, like cheating and stuff like that is your partner's going to find someone else attractive and you're going to have some issues. Right. But beyond that, in a monogamous relationship, uh, you, you, you can kind of put everything else to the side. Right. But in a polyamorous relationship, you like it, it's you, I guess you can also put that to the side, but I feel, I feel like everyone's going to be better off if they just, they come face to face with it. You know what I mean? So it's, it's made me face a lot of my insecurities and a lot of like the things I grew up with and the things I was taught uh, my entire life and really helped me, I think, heal a lot of things that I was just straight up wrong about, you know? Um, because even though as, as progressive of a person as I fancied myself b before polyamory, uh, I, I still had all those like, you know, kind of toxic masculine traits, uh, to di different degrees. I wasn't like, so like possessive that, you know, it was insane. Like some of these posts I see, Ugh. uh, but, <laughs> but I definitely, you know, I, I kind of had those feelings of insecurity, like, oh, another man is gonna, you know, be better than me and more manly than me. And she's going to like it more like, and I, I it was a weird it was a weird dichotomy because like, even when stuff like that would arise, like consciously, I knew like, well, this isn't the right way to think about this. And like, something's not right here, but I still had to like push through that. I didn't, I couldn't just like tell myself to be better and immediately be better. And I think that's what a lot of people look for, uh, both with uh, like when, when someone asks for like, um, tips for, you know, dealing with jealousy, I, I feel like sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes they're looking for literal, just like light switches, right? That you can just, you know, oh, I can do this thing and I'll feel less jealous and it'll be great. Not exactly how it works. So, <laughs> but yeah. Can you talk about even one example or more of the insecurities that you have overcome or an example of a piece of toxic masculinity um, that you no longer resonate with thanks to your polyamorous journey? Ooh, good question. So uh, one example of uh, kind of a, an insecurity that I've had to overcome, like a lot of men, my number one insecurities, like group of insecurities have been sexual. Um, that's very common with polyamorous men because we've been taught, you know, our entire lives that if your partner finds someone else sexually attractive, something is wrong. That's a problem. That's a threat. Like, you know. So naturally, those have been my biggest insecurities. Um, and one thing, I, I was just thinking about this the other day. Uh, my wife was dating someone um, who was into a particular kink. I won't get too, like, you know, specific just for their privacy reason. Um, but, and, you know, it wasn't anything that I would call, like, extreme, like, you know, out of this world or whatever. Like, uh, but even the small thing, you know, kind of set my brain into, oh, well, but, but we've never done that before. I, I, I have to be the first thing, the first person to do that with you, like, you know, panicking almost. Right. Um, and I, I, I think about that now and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've grown so much from there. Like <laughs> I wouldn't think that sometimes like, cause we've been kind of practicing that thing for a while, both me, you know, multiple people, not just me and her. 
Um, and now like, you know, we'll be going to, you know, somewhere to practice that or whatever. And sometimes I literally just have something else to do and I'll just be like, Oh, can your other partner go? <laughs> and Like I thought about that and I'm like, Oh my God, like that would have never, ever been my response <laughs> like three years ago. I would have been freaking out. Like, okay, we both, neither of us can go because I can't go because you can't enjoy this thing without me. Like, you know, wow, yeah. so that's, that's something like a specific example that I feel like I progressed um, a whole lot with. And as far as the toxic masculinity side of it goes, um, just the feeling that another man having traits that my partner likes is a threat to me, right? Mm -hmm. That's that's something that I struggled with a lot in the beginning. And I feel like I've progressed a whole lot with that because it's not some people and it's, you know, it's not even necessarily sexual, you know, sometimes there's literally just this completely platonic interest that this other person has that I don't have, but them having it and sharing that with my partner doesn't make that a threat to me, right? That doesn't, that doesn't mean I'm lesser. That doesn't mean they love me less. That just means that's that's a thing that they can enjoy and I don't have to, you know. Uh, um, so I, I feel like that's something I've progressed a lot on as well. There is honestly nothing sexier than hearing a man talk about how he overcame insecurities and toxic masculinity elements of them. <laughs> like, I, on behalf <laughs> of women everywhere, thank you. One of the good chats. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tried. What things helped you as a polyamorous man? So kind of going back to looking at, you know, all of the content creators' stats, we see an exorbitant, like, higher number of women following polyamory accounts. And we have theories that it's just maybe more women are on Instagram and social media in general. Maybe um, it's easier for women to seek out education than it is for a man to like seek out education. Um, so what things have helped you as a man work through insecurities, toxic masculinity, learning how to be a healthy polyamorous man despite the lack of semiology in the culture? Uh, so this is actually something that I've been trying to talk about on my pages more um, is specifically kind of masculinity more and more specifically toxic masculinity within polyamory because I made I can't remember what the first post was about it. I made some meme about it or whatever, and it just exploded, blew up. And I'm like, oh, I did not know that people necessarily wanted this very specific type of polyamory content. But apparently it helped out a lot of people, both men and women. Uh, so I'm like, OK, let's let's try to dive more into that um got a shout out uh buddy's podcast uh molding masculinity um not just because i did the logo for it although i did illustrate uh but <laughs> uh basically they just they talk about things that you know traditional toxic and non-toxic toxic masculinity traits and how we can like kind of reframe what you know how we think about masculinity and what we think of as masculinity because a lot of things that a lot of people think of as masculinity are inherently just bad right like anger a lot of people just straight up associate anger with masculinity and that doesn't have to be the case right um there's a whole episode about like how they've you know worked on kind of reframing re almost reprogramming themselves to instead of like having a bad thing happen and then just going straight to anger as a response as they've been taught throughout you know their their life as men to kind of like take a breath and like you know switch that and be like okay i'm i'm being angry at an inanimate object right now this doesn't make any sense <laughs> um but yeah uh so 
just a lot. The things that have helped me is just a lot of listen. Honestly, the biggest thing has just been listening to women, you know, because uh, I feel like there's a big. Yeah, I mean, straight up, there's like, you know, there's this. I feel like there's an aversion, even within the poly, even within some polyamory circles, even within like progressive, you know, leftist, whatever term you want to use politically circles, um, even with men who will call themselves progressive, call themselves, you know, all these things, uh, that there's still kind of a hesitancy to just listen to women, right? <laughs> there's always the hes there's always the thing. And I think that's another thing that has been taught to us just our entire lives is like, you always have to have a rebuttal when something is said to you that you don't, that doesn't fit with your worldview, right? Like, um, I, but yeah, I listen to women about what traits they find toxic, what problems they have with uh, dating, stuff like that, and kind of think about it. And I'm like, okay, so what, what, how does this fit with what I either think now or previously thought? And like, what, you know, kind of work, just working towards a general, just like better understanding. Um, and that's helped me a whole lot. I got, I got to say one unique experience with polyamorous men is being able, uh, to, um, have your partners, especially straight polyamorous men that are dating women, uh, is to, uh, have your partners share dating horror stories with you as they happen. <laughs> it is, it is experience. Like, cause I, uh, one of the big issues that I had in the beginning, which again is what a lot of polyamorous men experience is my wife and I both got on dating app and I got zero matches because, you know, men who don't pay an exorbitant already have hard times matching on dating apps and then to tack on polyamory in there just makes it that much harder. Um, but my wife just matched hundreds, like a ridiculous amount. And it was just so overwhelming to me. Right. But then I realized, I'm like, oh, 99% of these are horrible. <laughs> like, like, I kind of, I'm, I'm kind of happy I don't really have that many matches because the ones I do get aren't just a total dumpster fire. <laughs> uh, so there's always, you know, looking at that other side, uh, listening to the experiences and what, you know, women think are toxic traits of men has really helped me uh, progress, I feel like. What do you feel like besides anger and jealousy? What are some toxic traits of men that you have learned from listening to women? What a concept, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, it's not that hard. People think it's that hard. It's really not. Um, that is an excellent question. Um, the tendency, I mean, mansplaining is a big one. Like, just the, the tendency to always seem to have to say something when a woman is sharing anything, right? I, I, th I think that's incredibly toxic and something I catch myself doing to this day. Uh, the other the other day, I, I can't remember, I was explaining something very simple, like, you know, whatever. And they said like, oh yeah, I know this. And then like, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to like, I, I, I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> uh, so that's a big one that I, and I, and I think men, when called out for mansplaining often have a very negative response that kind of makes it worse almost because instead of like being like, okay, what, what did I do wrong here? What, you know, even considering what that person was saying, instead of doing that, they're just like, oh, well, just everybody's offended nowadays. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it's throw your hands up. Not my problem. Sort of like that someone else's feelings matter. Right. Um, that's, that's the biggest one that comes off. 
Uh, you know, I was once on a date um, where I got mansplained what mansplaining is. It was very meta. <laughs> I was like, the Matrix has been fucking hacked. I was like, does he not realize that he's doing this? Oh, that he tried to tell him that he did it and that he mansplained why he wasn't mansplaining. And it was just like down the rabbit fucking hole. Like I could not even handle it. Yeah, and I agree. I think in general, when people are called out on anything, it's this, oh, well, I can't even have an opinion at all. I guess if I have an opinion, I'm mansplaining. And it's like, can you just pause? (laughs) And I think that goes to uh, being wrong. I think culturally, no one knows how to be wrong. And the more privilege you have, the harder it is for you to be wrong because you've never been wrong. And so, you know, cis white, cis het white men have the hardest time being wrong. Cis het white women right below that. Um, And so in general, when somebody points out something, it's just such an uncomfortable feeling. And in 2017, you know, I had something catastrophic happen in my life that tore apart, you know, something I had spent a decade building. And immediately I went to a mentor who um, really taught me how to learn to be wrong. And I spent three years working with that mentor. Literally, I call them my learning to be wrong coach. And I feel like (laughs) to be wrong has been the single most important thing I've had to learn on for just as a human, um, as a white woman who wants to be an abolitionist and an ally, um, but also on my polyamorous journey. And then I don't want to speak for my husband, but I can say as his partner, him, because he also went on this journey to learn to be wrong. And I think it has just made our polyamorous journey so much more efficient, first of all, so that like when we do come upon conflict, we aren't spending a week in this dance and drama of like an argument before finally getting to what it actually is. Um, But yeah, I just think Mm. that what you spoke about was really profound and it resonates with me a lot. Yeah. And I think like, I think people, like you said, inside and outside of polyamory, like we, we as people just any given person is wrong or at least ignorant about almost everything (laughs) like like all the knowledge that exists in the world like each individual person doesn't know 99.9 percent of it so like it's okay to admit that like it's it's not like you have to know everything in the world have to be right about everything it's okay to like challenge yourself and you know allow yourself to at least consider am I wrong about this? Is this person, you know, disagreeing with me? Do they have valid points? And I think a lot of people get hung up on that, right? Just the defensive wall comes up and you just got to, you know, defend yourself no matter what, no matter how wrong you are. And yeah, I think polyamory has taught me, like like you said, in and outside of my relationships to just handle that way better. Awesome. What do you feel like you needed as a man exploring polyamory Hold on, go roll with me on this because it's a very specific archetype. A man in a okay. monogamous marriage whose wife was a, the initiator of the polyamorous path and more eager initially and had was quicker to find another partner. What did you need to surrender to that path? Um, Over communication mm. uh, is what comes. Like I I'm was about to make. Um, a TikTok answering a question, uh, actually. 
because uh, my number one tip for anyone uh, who's, you know, questioning at least, or just on the beginning of their journey is to overshare a little bit. Now, obviously don't, you know, don't mess with the boundaries of other people. Like, you know, if, if certain information being shared is going to violate the boundary of this other person, then, you know, no go. But um, I, I needed oversharing and over reassurance. Um, I, you know, I wanted to know, and this exaggerating thing, right? Like, and no, I'm not entitled to know everything. And I know, I knew that at the time as well, but like the more information I could have to just digest and kind of see what the scenario in front of me was, the more comfortable I was with that scenario, you know, um, because fear of the unknown is a huge thing, right? I mean, for me specifically, it's a massive thing, but you know, for, for everybody, it's a huge thing. Like, you know, the unknown is scary. Um, so like over, like just any information that I was entitled to have, I wanted basically there was, there was nothing past a certain, maybe there was a, maybe there was a short period at the very beginning where I got freaked out and be like, ah, I don't want to know this. I don't want to know that. But like very quickly, I was just like, all right, I, I like, I feel like I need to hear anything that's my, you know, that I'm at liberty to know. And that, that helped me so much. Um, and also just, I think a lot of men are simply scared to ask their partners for uh, reassurance, you know, and it doesn't have to be this grand dramatic thing. It can be as simple as, Hey, I'm not feeling too great today. Like, I'm just like kind of in my head mentally. I just, I just need to hear that, like, we're okay. And, you know, everything's fine. Even that, that simple thing that, you know, is not going to, shouldn't make anyone fly off the handle <laughs> or anything like that goes such a long way when you need it. Right. Um, but I think a lot of men tend to be like, well, I don't want to, uh, you know, that's such a silly thing. I don't want to like ask for that. That's, you know, that's just me being, you know, not masculine or whatever. Like, even if that's not the conscious thought, like, you know, um, and they just, they just let it kind of brew. And, you know, we're, as men, we're often taught not to communicate that stuff like that. Um, so those, those were the two biggest things that I needed were just like as much information as I was at liberty to have and being able to ask for reassurance when I needed it. Uh, I love your mind. Um, and we're so like on the same wavelength <laughs> because you keep heading down like where my next questions are going. And so like this conversation is <laughs> great. What a great first date, I want to say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I was going to ask you, you know, so when I'm in my triggers or in my wounds on the polyamorous path, um, I have like a go-to list of how, what I need for my for my partner to help me make me feel better. Um, and mine is affirmation. And I'm not sure if that's because my love language is affirmation or if that is just like a universal life jacket that would help all people. So I was gonna ask you like, when you are really in your shit with polyamory, like what things do you need from your partner? You, you mentioned affirmation um, and reassurance. Is there anything else? Um specifically i just need them to i often and this still happens sometimes i just need to them to like listen to where my mind is going sometimes i literally just need to be like hey i know my this what i'm like the stuff i'm about to say is not you know is toxic is this is that is bad but i just need to get it out of my face <laughs> and like into your ears to just like show you the context of where i am right now right and I feel like that's an important preface for a lot of conversations because I've, I've done that. You know, I've been in a really bad place. I have like named that what is happening in my mind is toxic 
not good, you know, overly hyper jealous, something like that. But I still like in order to get past it, in order to chew on it, in order to just like deal with it, I have to tell my partner, right? Because then oftentimes they will say something that I didn't even expect or like my brain being in its insecure place just didn't even think to say and it'll just like you know make me feel a thousand times better immediately and the fact that i have that you know that freedom that trust to be able to say hey this is bad and i know it's bad but i need to say it um and for my partner to react positively and be like okay let's deal with this is like was a, a bit of a game changer for me just like just just being able to be like okay thank goodness like, <laughs> like now I can deal with this. <laughs> like I just couldn't do it with it all in my head and nobody else knowing it. <laughs> you know what that is? It's shadow work. That's literally shadow work because it is taking what is in the darkness, what is hidden inside of you, and it shows it to the light. And I always say confession is one of the most powerful pieces of shadow work you can do. And sometimes is all you need to do. Like sometimes you need to confess and then heal or move the energy. But a lot of times just showing the insecurity to the light by sharing it through confession with your partner, the energy moves and you're like, wow, I just needed to say that out loud. I don't even need you to affirm me. I actually just needed to say it. Um, you know, when I was yeah. pregnant, um, I had a lot of stuff come up, especially toward the end of my pregnancy um, at the beginning of this year. And I've never told anyone this. Remind me to make content around this. Do you find yourself saying that, by the way? Do you remind yourself? Do you oh. find yourself being like, I need to make a meme? All the time. I'm just like, remind me to make a note about this. Remind me. <laughs> like, I know there's a good meme there. I just, I need to think about it for a yeah. sec, but I don't have time right now. <laughs> like, totally. Okay. So I want to make myself. content around this. Because like, honestly, this whole conversation, I've been like, oh, that's meme. That's a meme. Okay. Um, so when I was pregnant, I had this crazy ass thing brewing. And finally, I just needed to say it out loud. And I was like, I feel like you are hoping that I die during childbirth so that you can leave me for your girlfriend. And the second that I said it, I was like, wow, okay, I'm done. I don't feel that anymore. Like it was fucking psycho. And I yeah. buried it and buried it and buried it and buried it. And it was like giving me nightmares and anxiety. And the second that I said it, it was gone. And my partner didn't laugh at me, you know, and he wasn't even mortified. He was just like, compassionate, you know? And I feel like yeah. so many times I get DMs from people that are like, when I tell my partner how I'm feeling, like they just shit on me. And I'm like, then you have a shitty partner. Like, like, um, yeah. your partner should yeah. be able to hear the, you know, I call her my inner psycho, like my inner psycho is psycho. And I just need to like mm -hmm. show her to my partners sometimes to keep her in check. Um, and I honestly think one of the biggest things I'm seeing with particularly cishet men in my polyamory coaching practice is that the walk of polyamory, the first thing that it's going to do is force you to feel all these feelings that you don't want to feel that in the nature of monogamy um, is such that you can bury them for 20 years sometimes. Um, but the second that you become polyamorous, the first thing that's going to happen is all your feelings are going to come up and women don't have most women are culturally it's appropriate for us to feel our feelings to express them to move through them to seek help and men like step one is feel your feelings and a lot of men can can't even do that step they have no idea how to do it they're uncomfortable doing it they don't 
want the vulnerability to feel the feelings. And then step two is get help with those feelings. And so I feel like men are missing step one and step two. And so they are having so many issues walking this polyamorous walk. Um, Do you have any advice for men who are just afraid to feel their feelings? Uh, Before before I answer that, I want to go back and talk about that, like uh, the inner psycho a little bit. Oh my God, please. You have no idea how hard I relate to that. Okay. Because I literally, like this was just the other day, right? Like right now to give a little context right now, uh, I have left my previous job and I'm currently like looking for another one and doing my own side stuff or whatever, but I'm just like, it's a stressful time, right? I don't, I don't have like, this is the first time in my, my adult life that I haven't had like, you know, a nine to five, 40 hour a week thing. So it's, it's stressed me out, you know? Um, and uh, a couple of my wife's, you know, partners or people that she's talking to, whatever word you want to use are, you know, quite successful people. And I just had to like, say, I was just like, I know this is irrational. I feel like, they can provide better for you than me. You're going to realize that I give absolutely nothing to this relationship, which was the shit part. Uh, <laughs> and you're just going to leave me. And like the look was just like, oh my God, no. <laughs> like, what the fuck? And I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> and similarly, like it's, it's insane. The rabbit holes your brain can go down because I've had, there was one time, I, I don't even think there was any sort of context or like incident made this like, triggered this for me or like led me to this but i was just like in a bad place one day and i'm just like i feel there's this irrational fear that you get off on lying to me and doing things and then telling me that some is the case and she's like no 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 why what (laughs) like why does your brain do that and i'm like i don't know (laughs) it's me (laughs) but yeah that's (laughs) so i i relate to that so hard but literally just being able to tell your partner about that and you know get that reassurance from them or even not sometimes i'll say like i don't think i need anything for this but i just want to say i'm feeling this way about this thing and they'll be like okay thanks for telling me um and yeah, it's, it's incredible what just getting that out can do even, you know, and like you said, as soon as I said those things, I was like, these are not right. I, I offer more in my relationship than just straight up money. <laughs> that is not the only thing I offer in a relationship. Like, it's so silly. Uh, so Ryan, again, what was your previous question? Because <laughs> I well, went off track. <laughs> no, it's great. And I want to say, like, my husband has similar, does he make more money than me? And is his dick bigger than mine? That's like mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. inner masculine. The dick thing. That is, that is a thing that we are all taught to, to, like, be super fucking insecure about. And it sucks. And I hate it. Because it still affects me to this day. Like, uh, <laughs> like it's it's so, and it's, uh, like, and it's, it's a thing that, like, like we said before, like, even if you can name it and be like, this is a silly thing to th- think about, like, uh, like, uh, you just, like, can't stop because it's just, like, drilled into you, not only in your monogamous life, but also in your polyamorous life. Like, it's just comes at you from all sides and it's taught to you from birth as a man that, like, if your dick is small or, like, even average size, you're not good enough. <laughs> like, you yeah. can't satisfy anyone. Like, mm-hmm. it's awful. And, like, it's not true, but it's so hard to, like just make that not true like in your head like well and i know like to be frank like i know people like i know people and i've heard people online with frankly like big dicks that still have these fucking issues <laughs> like sometimes the actual like size of it often isn't doesn't even matter like it's kind of a dysphoria sort of thing you know <laughs> totally it is total dysphoria and sometimes it's not even like is my dick big with in polyamory it's is his bigger than mine 
Um, and so it doesn't right, even matter. Right. And like, I could even be like, actually, I don't like big dicks. I, like I say that all the time. I'm not a size queen. I, they're uncomfortable for me and it does not matter. Like my, <laughs> speaking of listening to women, like that doesn't matter. And like, I get it. You know, the pressure, this is the damage done to men from our toxic masculine culture. Y'all are victims and survivors oh, yeah. of this. And so, um, it's super super toxic. So to go back to the question we had tabled is I was talking about the mm -hmm. first thing that happens is men are going to need to feel their feelings. And the next thing is mm -hmm. they might need help with their feelings. Do you have any advice for men on step one, feeling their feelings and step two, seeking help with the feelings they're feeling? Yeah. So step, step one, uh, the, the number one thing I can say that might resonate, even though it's, you know, problematic language, that's how it goes. Feeling your feelings does not make you a pussy <laughs> like you know you are not you know obviously like don't love using that word in that context but like you know that's i feel like that's what gets across just like you are not a worse man a lesser man anything like that for simply acknowledging how you feel and trying to deal with it because i dealt with that for the longest like you know sharing those feelings is not masculine it's not you know, it's, it's, it makes you weak. It makes you not a tough, strong person, even though I, I, and like, this is something I struggled with, not even having ever felt like a particularly like manly man. Like, do you still, even, even if you don't feel like that's your identity, that you're a macho person, you still deal with feeling like you're a lesser man for like sharing your feelings. So that's like the number one thing. Like you can, you can literally, you can think about them. You can talk about them. You can feel them. It doesn't make you any less of a man. It's probably going to make you a better person in the long run. Like, <laughs> like to like name those things and talk about it. And like, man, the seeking help, I feel like we all, oh my gosh, out, outside of polyamory, I recently got the diagnosed with uh, ADHD. It's, it took me, despite having symptoms my entire life, 31 years to go to the fucking doctor <laughs> like, and like i mean i'm like they're like well yeah you have this i'm like i yeah i, I know i think, <laughs> like, I think I do. <laughs> um like it, it's there's such a stigma like i i feel like i feel like there it's tough for me to give any like personal advice about one person what one person can do to kind of like make them themselves like seek help or at least communicate about it or something like that not necessarily in a therapist doctor sort of way but literally just in a you know communicative sort of way um it's hard for me to give advice on that but i think as a whole as a society as a polyamorous community we just need to like destigmatize that right like m make a more welcoming environment for hearing it and th that problem is not perpetuated by women like right. from my experience for the most part Women are not the ones saying, like, if you don't share, if you share your feelings, you're weak, you're, ooh, I don't like that. Like, I don't know if I've even ever actually heard that from anyone I've known. Like, I see posts about literally everything, but, <laughs> like, I don't think I've ever actually legitimately heard that from a woman. Like, they they do not care. <laughs> like, I mean, they care, but, like, they don't, they don't think lesser of you for it. Um, so that would be my thing. It's just, like, it doesn't make you lesser. And, like, you kind of have to repeat it to yourself over and over and over, day after day, like, it doesn't make you a lesser person. Like, because even when you conceptualize that, you still feel like it does, and it still doesn't. <laughs> yes, totally. Well, and not only, like, 
does feeling your feelings not make you less of a man? Like, let's change it to feeling your feelings makes you more of a man. Like, let's move out of toxic masculinity, which is not feeling your feelings, and true masculinity, or what I would call, like, the sacred masculine, is feeling your feelings, taking responsibility for them, and seeking to heal. For some reason, those things are deemed feminine qualities, and that's fucked up. Um, So I want to wrap this up real quick. I always start my interviews, and for some reason... I forgot today, um, talking, uh, doing a privilege check and sharing your identity so that anyone listening to this interview knows the lens that you're coming from. So for me, I am, uh, my privileges, um, and biases and identity. I am a cis het or cis, um, white woman who presents in a heterosexual primary relationships with which gives me a lot of privilege. I'm a uh, queer, non-disabled, and I'm not sure about the neurodivergent thing yet. I am also on a path of learning that I might not be as typical as I thought I was. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And what about you? Uh, I am a uh, cis, white, heteroflexible, I've recently come to terms with, like, uh, but you know, overwhelmingly presenting hetero. You know, I actually wanna make a TikTok about that term because I can't believe I didn't know about it until like a few months ago because it's amazing. Um, not disabled, um, you know, ADHD, like I said, uh, but very a very overall privileged person. And I think it is crucially important, both inside and outside of polyamory, to acknowledge those things at, at every time we need to because it 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 is amazing even when you consider yourself a you know progressive person just how much your privilege smacks you in the face all the time like it and it should smack you in the face sometimes you just like you know dodge the punch and say something shitty and then oh, i'm out of the woods whatever uh, but <laughs> like like it is amazing how many times even in one day your privilege as a man as a cis person as you know non-disabled person you know everything uh comes into play that you just don't even notice which is part of the privilege right so <laughs> like I, I think it is very crucial to always be thinking about your privilege and, you know, kind of just internalizing how it affects you and other people. Yes. Amen. And, and just the ability to have large accounts and to be out and to have lives in which it's safe for us to be out um, as content creators, polyam content creators is massively tied to our privilege. And so as much as I'm honored to um, be considered one of, you know, the bigger polyam content creators that people appreciate and same with you, it is absolutely tied to my privilege and my bias and my lens. And so I just want people to always be examining every single thing I say through my privilege. Um, And I want to end this with talking about Mm -hmm. anything you want to shout out because you have a monthly support group. Yes. Yes. Uh, I have a monthly support group. The next meeting is at this weekend, September 11th. I'll have a link uh, on my link tree and my bios everywhere. Um, that's been great. It's more of like a small, you know, a lot of Discord servers and stuff like that and communities, just they, they feel you enter them and they're just so big, right? Like you can't, you don't feel like you can really know anybody that you can, what, this is, this is a very small one. You know, the, the, we've had like 10 people on it the last couple of times. And it's just been like a very, very nice to be able to actually share one-on-one instead of just joining, you know, a group or a page or whatever, and just shouting into the void of thousands and thousands of people. All right. So highly recommend that. Um, like I said, I recommend the podcast Molding Masculinity. I've been on a huge kick uh, lately of kind of veering my content more towards like 
the positive masculinity, you know, side of polyamory, because I didn't even realize until I started posting about it, how much people appreciate, how much people want it, how much people need it. Um, so highly recommend that podcast. It's great. Um, yeah. I mean, <laughs> on, a, on a more typical shout out, like I make shirts, I make stickers. I'm about to try to do a project where I'm upgrading all my stickers to like this really high quality vinyl sort of thing that I have with this one. Because people really, really fucking like this one. Uh, so, yeah, keep an eye out for that. I've uh, been trying to do more of that. Plus, like I said, I'm, I'm out of work right now. So, <laughs> you're supporting me a whole lot. Do you have a Venmo um, people can drop tips in right now if they enjoyed this interview? Or if you're listening hmm. to this on the playback right now or on the podcast, is there a way for people to just send you money and tip you for the work that you're doing? Uh, I do have a, I got to say, I've never even heard the website out loud. Ko-fi? Yeah. Co I think the whole, it's the whole thing is you can buy, I know, because the whole thing is like you can buy me a coffee, but it's spelled K-O-F-I. And I'm like, but that's Ko-fi. Whatever that website is, that's in my link tree if you just want to send a very small tip, you know, anything like that. I also uh, have recently put up um, on my Ko-fi coffee, whatever you want to call it, um, I am doing art commissions for polycules. So if you want your polycule to have sort of an illustrated, like art sort of, you know, commission thing, I can do that for you. So, <laughs> I love but yeah, that, that would, if you want to directly support me in a small way, that's, that's how to do it. <laughs> awesome. And if you're uh, listening to this right now, we've got a podcast. It's just called remodeled. It's not even remodeled love. You can find it on all major listening platforms. You can also just go to remodeledlove.com and find links to literally everything that I'm doing. Uh, make sure you're following my polyamory platform on Instagram, which is actually remodeled love. Um, Home Slice productions is my personal account. And I just want to thank you for chatting with me today and I have one more question for you so being super hot and super smart and super funny <laughs> and super polyamory content creator famous do you have the problem that my husband has which is you've got bitches from all over the world being like oh my god I'm in love with you I want to date you but then in your city you cannot find a girlfriend so no so I actually uh I I, I wouldn't describe the prior as that intense as you did but i that vibe a little bit <laughs> but locally i generally like i actually haven't been on a dating app in like two years uh oh. because i generally just like make I, I make like my most people ask me like oh how do you find partners locally or like people that date locally honestly like um i say that and the person i'm currently dating locally was a tender match from like two years ago but uh <laughs> but i generally just like meet people make friends and then you know things happen from there you know <laughs> it's it's my weirdly enough as vague and as like useless as this sounds my number one polyamory dating tip is just treat people like people instead of like prey like and it'll be fine like <laughs> you really are yeah the good uh, chad it comes full circle all right my friend thank you. thank you so much for sitting down with me today thank you for all the work that you're doing follow at polyam fam on instagram and tiktok if you're not already and uh have a great day thank you for having me i love doing this collaborative stuff so <laughs> bye love bye fall in love just a little little bit every day with someone new i fall in love just a little oh a little bit every day with someone new